everyone. This is David Dubow here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in all the way from pretty close to Minneapolis, isn't it? Is that right, Anthony? Very, very close. I'm like two blocks away from the Minneapolis border. So just on the outskirts. We'll call it Minneapolis, Minnesota. We got Anthony Vicino. Anthony, thanks for joining us. And Anthony is a very accomplished real estate entrepreneur, podcaster, author, you name it. This guy's up to it. He's focusing on multifamily investing. He's got a podcast called Multifamily Investing Podcast. Hell of a good name for your podcast, you know, that's what you focus on. And just came out with a new book, Passive Investing Made Simple. That sounds wonderful. So, Anthony, welcome to the call. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Looking forward to hopefully bringing some value to your to your listeners. Well, I know. I know you're going to bring value to the listeners. That's for sure, Anthony. So first of all, let's start with this. Why multifamily investing? Why? I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm a big believer. Why do you like to focus on multifamily? There's too many reasons to list. So we'll just take like the top, let's okay. say three. Sure. Let's take top three because they're so good. There's so many reasons. And again, you drinking the Kool-Aid, I'm drinking it alongside you. But so the thing is, I started actually my real estate investing career with small residential. So triplexes, quads, things that didn't qualify as a commercial property. And I did pretty well in that space, but I did pretty well through no fault or credit to myself. It was all just catching waves of organic appreciation. So for context, my very first property, I bought a triplex for 246000 Nine months later, had appreciated to $375,000. I did practically nothing. And you would think, wow, that's really cool. That sounds like a really great investment. Sure. But the thing that stood out was I didn't have any control. Since the valuations were based on comparables, it was just fortuitous that everybody else in that neighborhood had been selling all their properties for a lot more than what I had paid for. It wasn't because I was some all-star operator or some really great investor. It was nothing like that. What I love about multifamily and the reason that I moved up in, in unit count was I wanted to have control. I wanted to know that the valuations of my buildings were tied to something that I was ultimately responsible for. So when we think about how these buildings are valued, that's based on NOI divided by cap rate. And the NOI is a reflection of our revenues minus our expenses. So on both fronts, I can come in, I can increase revenues, I can decrease expenses. Those are operational things that I control. So I love that part. That's number one. Control. Number two, right. number two reason is taxes. It, I'm a, you know, it's not about what you make, it's about what you keep. At the end of the day, there's just nothing better when it comes to tax savings or tax avoidance. And that's not to be, you know, confused with tax evasion, which is legal. Tax avoidance is a good thing when we're talking about depreciation and accelerated depreciation and cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation and all these things that really start to get amplified when it comes to the big multifamily, it's just something that you can't, you can't overvalue. It's very easy to overlook. And I think a lot of people do. And then the third reason we'll go with is inherent stability. You know, with that triplex that I had, if somebody moved out, I was suddenly 33% vacant and all that good, good cash flow that I had suddenly disappears. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I have a hundred unit building and somebody moves out, I don't feel it as much. And the thing is, like, we're a nation of renters. And in the US, like, we see from both ends, both millennials who don't want to own homes 
but also baby boomers who are at the end of their life, life's not life, but at the end of their, hey dude, take it easy. Right? <laughs> Sorry, boomer. No, <laughs> not then their life at the point in their life where the kids have moved out, they've moved on. They don't need the big house anymore. They want right. to start going and traveling and living life up to its fullest. And they're like, I don't need to be tied down to this really big house that I don't need anymore. So they're also in the US, the second largest demographic of renters ever more increasingly. So we're seeing it from both ends of the spectrum, which creates this really fortuitous supply demand curve. We're on the right side of it always because there's always this shortage of supply, but this incredible rising demand. And like, those are the three reasons. So they're like, I don't, I could keep going, but at a certain point, it just sounds like a crazy person. Yeah, no, no, no. That's very well said. I love your top three. That makes a lot of sense. So Anthony, there's a lot involved with investing in multifamily properties, especially these bigger deals. What are you finding most effective these days for finding these good opportunities, especially because you know, your number one reason that you love multifamily is control and being able to increase the value of the property through your own efforts. Have you found anything these days that's working well for finding these underperforming assets? Yes. So everybody wants to be a unicorn hunter, but the problem with unicorns is they're very, very hard to find out in the wilderness, right? So I've I've never seen one myself. Yeah, you never see them. But what what we realized in 2020, and this came about not through brilliance on our part, but just as a pivot in response to COVID, before that, we were doing heavy value ads, which meant we were going in, deploying a lot of CapEx to do renovations, move out tenants, bring in new tenants. And that became very difficult in an eviction moratorium environment and supply chains were difficult with materials. So we made a shift and said, we want to go towards assets that have more inherent stability, that we don't need to deploy a ton of capital, but that there is that delta between in-place rents and market rent, and that we're buying it at a good basis. And so that's a unicorn deal. What we found out was if you go and find the unicorn farmers, the guys, the gals who are raising unicorns, then you can just go buy it from them. So you're like, who are these unicorn farmers? Well, what we found, and this is again, fortuitous, is that there's guys and the gals in our market. And in every market, there's like probably 15 to 20 operators who control the vast majority of the inventory. You go and find those people who have been in the game for 30 plus years. They have really low debt on their properties. They value tenants that are going to take care of their property and stay for a long time. So they're not driving up rents. And they're looking for easy transactions because they just want to get out. They want to move on to the next thing. So they don't want to be nickel and dime. They don't want somebody coming back and not following through with what they said. And so that's what we did is we started going finding these these unicorn farmers or these old school investors who own all the properties here in the Twin Cities. And we started making relationships with them. And we created a reputation in the community as people who follow through with what we say, we're good to our word. We'd never put a a deal under contract that we don't close. We don't renegotiate unless there's something just catastrophically wrong that we couldn't have known about. And what that's done then is on that first deal, we did three deals with the unicorn farmer. And then he referred us to one of his buddies who's also been in the market for 30 years. And then we did a deal with that guy. And then he referred us to another guy. And then last six deals have been through these unicorn farmers. Wow. That is brilliant. That's very, very smart. So yeah, these guys, they owe hardly nothing on the properties are pretty much free and clear. They're into the minimize the headache stage of their investing careers. So their properties are quite often under market rents. So once you get those properties, what do you do to increase the value of those properties without you know completely shaking the, shaking the tree there and, and kicking out all these old tenants? 
Well, this is the thing I think a lot of people overlook when they're new to multifamily and they're doing the underwriting is they think, oh, day one, we're going to go in there, we're going to raise the rents and we're going to have somehow maintain 100% occupancy and all this. And what the most valuable business lesson a mentor ever shared with me was that a dollar saved is worth more than a dollar earned because the dollar earned is always on a margin. So you earn that dollar of revenue, but it's on a 50% margin, let's say an expense ratio. So you only get to keep 50 cents of that. So if you can go in there and reduce expenses by $1, there is no margin on that. That just goes straight to your bottom line. And so we focus a lot on not being traumatic at the property level in terms of turnover. If people want to stay, we don't need to go and get the $100 hike right away. If they want to stay, we would rather prioritize tenants staying longer and not having to do those unit renovations immediately and deploying all that capital. And we'll do that in exchange for, say, a $20 hike, which you know, tenants will be like, okay, that's, that's reasonable. So it's about understanding what the current tenants will tolerate, but also understanding that you can't just go in there and ask for more money from people without reciprocating some kind of value. So that could be going and making amenity level improvements to the common areas or to the landscaping or to the playground, or, you know, somehow improving the property so that the tenants go, you know what, I do want to stay here because when these properties sell, it's scary. Every tenant I've ever talked to and they're like, the property selling, they're like, what's that mean for me? Yeah, Everybody for sure. is over, like scared about that. So if you can come in from a position of value and saying, hey, we're going to make this an awesome living community. We're committed to you and taking care of you. But in exchange, it's going to be, a, it, the rent is going to go up and here's how we're going to do that. And you're transparent with expectations. Then tenants are usually, not always, but usually very amenable and open-minded to that. Wow, that's another fantastic idea. Hold on to that thought for a sec. We'll be right back. Now, are you a real estate investor who's ran out of cash or credit to grow your portfolio? Are you looking to grow your portfolio using other people's money and raising capital? Well, I want to show you how to raise six figures or more in six weeks or less at my upcoming Investor Attraction Workshop. You can get your ticket and find out all about it at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. We're going to spend a full day taking a deep dive into this roadmap that I've used to raise millions for my deals, and I've helped other people just like you cumulatively raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for their deals as well. So again, you can check that out at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. And as a loyal listener to the podcast, you'll get 50% off your ticket when you use the discount code PODCAST. That's right, discount code PODCAST at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. See you at the next workshop. Very cool. All right, so that is increasing rents Slightly, but you also talked about decreasing expenses. So have you got mm. anything that you're kind of typically doing for lowering expenses on these kind of older properties? Yeah, you know, the big one that everybody likes to talk about is rubs, like ratio utility bill back, where you can bill back part of the utilities to tenants. You could that only works in certain markets in certain areas, certain certain neighborhoods. So it's gonna be tenant dependent on what they're gonna to tolerate. What we like to do first, though, before even talking about that is going in and saying, how can we just reduce the utilities, period? What can we do to run this more effectively? Because maybe there's an insulation issue and it's losing a lot of heat or there's water leaks and we can shore those things up. Or maybe the windows are really old and letting out a lot of the, the air conditioning in the summer and therefore the electricity bill is higher. Like, What can we do to reduce those utilities? Because Utilities are only ever going to get more expensive. So any improvement that we can make there, any marginal improvements, it's going to go a long way. And so I would encourage operators to be thinking through those lens of like, how can we create a more efficient building so that the money that we do pay towards utilities, it goes actually towards those utilities that need to be 
purchased. Makes a lot of sense. Well, that's fantastic, Anthony. Thanks for sharing some really good tips on what you're doing to find good deals. Now, another big part of the whole equation is finding the capital to do these big deals. So what have you found that works really well for you? And I know you're very active with podcasting, writing books, all this kind of being interviewed, all this kind of stuff. What do you find is working best for you these days for finding investors? So it's twofold, I'd say is one, you know, we lead with education. We don't like to sell real estate to anybody. We just put it out there because we think it's the best investment vehicle out there. We want everybody to participate and know that it's available to them. So we lead with education and that's what the podcast is about. That's what the book that we wrote is about. And so that's one component is putting yourself out there into the universe and doing it consistently enough so people can find you. They can start to build a relationship with you before they've ever even met you. you know, by the time that we get onto a phone call with a lot of investors, they've already consumed dozens of our podcast episodes. They've heard us talking. They've heard about our thesis about life and investing that it's really easy then to have that first phone call for them to say, I feel like I know you and us to go, cool. That makes it a lot easier to have this conversation. And the other thing is put yourself where the investors are, like get in the same room with them. Think about who is your ideal investor avatar. You know, for us, we really focus on small business and medium-sized business owners, people who have spent their entire lives building a business and they're really good at that. And that's been their primary source of income and their main source of like reinvestment. But what ends up happening is you get to this place in your life where you built this awesome business and it's all you have. Mm -hmm. You're like the golden goose who's laid one big golden egg into one basket. So we like to come in and help these business owners say, okay, you can still have that egg, but let's take some of these other little eggs, start putting them into this other basket known as real estate investing to diversify and offset the risk there while also generating good returns. So for us, it's like, how do we get in the same room with business owners? Okay, go join groups where these people hang out, get on stage and talk to them, go to networking events. If you're a lawyer and you want to attract lawyers, go to lawyer events. If you are trying to attract CPAs, go to a CPA event. And I would encourage people to really think like, who is your investor avatar? It can't be everybody. Right. It's somebody. So, and maybe, maybe everybody will eventually come invest with you. That happens. But really think through like, who are you trying to get in the same room with? Smart. Very, very smart. So how have you found that podcasting and being an author and all of these kind of things has really kind of helped get that going? You talk about leading with education. You've got a very specific focus for your ideal investor avatar. How are you getting these kind of people to watch your podcast and get your book? Well, that's a good question. You know, we, we come at it from the angle that the resource originally went why we started our podcast. And if your listeners are out there thinking about how do I get investors, here's the twofold strategy. One is start your own podcast where you are talking about the things that all your passive investors need to know. Like our investor base, they are always asking the same questions. And we're like, well, instead of explaining what a cap rate is every time, let's record a podcast episode on it right. and direct them to this. And so that's what we did. And then we're like, well, some people don't like to listen to podcasts. Some people want to dive deeper and they like to read. So let's create a book that has the same thing so that what we can do is we can scale our time with our investors by not having to go through the same topics, same basic topics that they can take at their own speed. And so that's why the book and the podcast that we create are very, very valuable. But in terms of getting new investors into your funnel, that's where going on to other podcasts is really helpful. Mm -hmm. And not 
not just, you know, real estate podcasts, those can be very, very valuable, but everybody makes the same rounds. And generally like, you're not going to drum up too many new investors by going on somebody else's podcast. You might get one every now and then, but if you can go into like ancillary podcasts that are kind of related. So like I mentioned before, we service entrepreneurs, small business owners. So if we go on to business podcasts or mindset or finance podcasts that are tangentially related to real estate and talk about not just pitching real estate, but talking about how it can form a, you know, a hedge against inflation or talking about the current state of the environment from tax perspectives. Well, now we have a lead back for an audience that has never thought about real estate. And so it's like touching into blue oceans rather than going into the, the murky churned up oceans that I think everybody kind of gets into. They're like, oh, I'll just go do the real estate podcast tour. And it's like, nah, it's probably not going to turn up too much. It's a little incestuous. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. We're all vying for the same, same ears in that world. Like, and honestly, your best bet is to go and put yourself into a room where nobody's heard about this before. And they go, oh, okay. That's cool. That's interesting. Then you're the obvious expert as well, right? You're the, exactly. It's all about, that's exactly it. You've positioned yourself in their minds. And so going back to like one of the most powerful places that you can be at any networking event is on the stage. Mm -hmm. So if you can find a way to get onto that stage, then you immediately elevate your presence in everybody's minds. And so if that's a entrepreneurship conference where it's not even about real estate per se, and you're up there and you're talking about your thing, and you're talking about real estate, people go, oh, that's really interesting. Nobody knows about it. You go to, I don't find that too many passive investors generally go to I'm like real estate conferences. I think part of the, the beauty of being a passive investor is that you don't have to live and breathe the real estate, Yeah. right? And so- like idea, I'd be, right? be thinking about like most passive investors probably aren't listening to real estate podcasts and going to conferences. They're maybe going to their doctor conferences because they're high net worth individuals and they want to stay up on their skills. So if you can get in front of that crowd, now you can raise some capital. Definitely. Smart stuff. Anthony, this has been great. Time flies when we're having fun, but <laughs> thank you very, very much for sharing some great insights and great wisdom there. If people want to listen to more smart stuff from you on your <laughs> podcast, where should they go for that? That I don't know about smart stuff, but if you want to hear more stuff, you can find Multifamily Investing Made Simple is the name of the podcast. And if you go to multifamilyinvestingpodcast.com, you'll find us. Beautiful. And if people want to take a look at your book, what should they do for that? So you can go to thepassiveinvestingbook.com. There are other passive investing books, but this is the passive investing book. So yeah, nice. make sure you put that in there. Or you can find it on Amazon, Passive Investing Made Simple. And if you don't even want to spend money on a book, if you're like in that place in life where you're like, I don't want to spend any money, just shoot me an email, Anthony at InvictusMultifamily.com. Tell me one thing that you enjoyed from this episode and I'll send you a copy for free. Well, that's very generous. Awesome, Anthony. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right, everybody take care and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, hey there, thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, investor attractionbook.com. Take care.